to the David Glenn Show. John Forslund on the NHL in 60 minutes. The big breaking news there is that the Canes, as expected, have matched the offer sheet to their rising young star, Sebastian Ajo. The Montreal Canadiens were trying to push the Canes around financially. They front-loaded the deal with big, 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 as big as you'll ever see signing bonus money. They front-loaded the deal. Believe it or not, Sebastian Ajo's salary was going to be like less than a million dollars a year. But the compensation in the offer sheet was five years, $42 million plus. As we come to your calls, a little Ajo in hockey, a little NBA free agency, the Kawhi Leonard watch continues, even as most of the other highest profile free agents have already found their new homes. Kawhi is still considering staying with Toronto, where he just led the Raptors to their first NBA title. The Clippers and the Lakers are also relevant. We'll talk with Bobby Marks next hour on the NBA, John Forslund next hour on the NHL. Your phone calls now on the the NBA, the NHL, Wimbledon is underway. The New York Yankees have signed a Martian. I am not kidding. They have signed a Martian, more specifically the Martian. It's only a nickname, but it's a pretty interesting story. I'll get to that shortly. 1-800-849-2761. If you're just joining us, the question of the day is this. As the American women take on England a little bit later this afternoon in France at the Women's World Cup, as always, they're the favorites, meaning Team USA. As usual, they win these things, these big games. They just dispatched France in the quarterfinals, the host team in the co-favorite in the eyes of many. The English, by the way, are among the other tournament favorites behind the Americans. But with this in mind, and maybe another World Cup, the women tend to win it half the time. It would be four out of eight if they win it again this year. They've won four out of the six Olympic gold medals up for grabs in the sport of women's soccer. With this bigger picture in mind, and the men and the women actually both engaged in various competitions this week, why have the U.S. women been number one in the world for decades, while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25? You can jump in with your theory if you're just joining us. We've already gotten these out of the way. There are many more options for top athletes in the United States compared with other places. Lionel Messi, growing up in South America, how complicated was his what sport am I going to fall in love with as a young boy dream? And then how complicated was with my elite athleticism, which, short, which sports should I choose? What will I fall in love with? In our country, I mean, it might be hockey. It, it might be basketball. It might be football. It might be tennis. It might be golf. It might be swimming. It might be a dozen other things. In Argentina, you know, it's a shorter list, a less complicated list. And then once you fall in love with something, what do you watch? What are mom or dad taking you to games to see or watching on TV? What is the local league offering at whatever level of poverty or wealth you might be? In much of the world, soccer is the answer to all of those questions. In the United States, it's way more complicated than that. Clearly, that is one of the biggest layers to this cake as we build our theory. Why are the U.S. women number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25? What I just pointed out with Messi doesn't explain all of that, right? It might explain some part of this puzzle, but still, if it's a cultural thing, well, why wouldn't our men and women 
be at a similar level. You all know it's comp more complicated than that. I do think other good points made included there are more freedoms for American women compared to women in other parts of the world, the Middle East, Africa, and other places in particular. There's no doubt about that. That doesn't mean U.S. women have all the freedoms they want or deserve, but it's relatively speaking in favor of American women here in 2019 compared to most of the rest of the world. Other good points as we welcome more of your calls. Travel soccer is expensive here. If you're in an impoverished country or a mid-level wealth country and you're an elite player probably in soccer because that is the most popular sport in most countries in the world, where would it be in our popularity list? I mean, they've done studies of this. NFL football is number one, or football more broadly, could be college, pro, high school, whatever. Basketball is always up there. Baseball remains in the top three in our country, as it did 100 years ago with different sports. But football, baseball, and basketball are gobbling up elite athletes, right? And there are other sports. We have that incredible variety here. That's part of the picture. In this country, if you choose soccer, the best way to get noticed by far is to join your local club team, maybe also your high school team. And trust me, I'm the parent of two soccer players. When you play at a high enough level, as my daughter Avery has, you spend a lot of money on travel teams and travel equipment and travel jerseys and hotels and vans and all sorts of other things. And if you are an impoverished family in an impoverished country, in a country where soccer is the king of the hill and there's no doubt about it, they're going to find you and there's going to be a league available for you. In our country, you can easily get lost in the shuffle. Maybe your family just gives up on the idea of finding the money for your travel club, and that means any elite athlete of lesser means is at risk of being left by the wayside in a way that in other countries that would not happen because soccer is the be-all, end-all. Again, it's a multi-layer cake, but you're hitting on a lot of the top themes. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. I don't think you've given me the number one answer yet, I'll welcome more phone calls as I leave it on the back burner. There is an even bigger, I mean like bird's eye view. You, you really have to think macro rather than micro to understand why the U.S. women have been number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25 of the world rankings. Again, men's average ranking for the last three decades, 20th. They've been as low as 34th. That was just eight years ago. They've been as high as 8th in the world rankings that was 14 years ago but the women are almost always number one representing the red white and blue one more time this afternoon against england at the women's world cup george is in nashville north carolina and next up on the david glenn show you have another good layer to our cake i still don't think it's number one but it's a good one welcome to the david glenn show go right ahead yeah part of it goes back to in the 80s congress passed what they called title nine which basically says that women and men have to have equal funding or equal opportunity. So that's poured a lot more money into a lot of women's sports. There's no, yeah, there's no doubt that. about it. Title IX and gender equity is a little bit complicated. I can tell you from my time, uh, 17 years as a practicing attorney, and longer than that as a guy who graduated from law school in 1994, there, there's a lot of nooks and crannies to understanding Title IX or gender equity. But I think your bird's eye view on it is true. And keep in mind, that was not embraced by everybody when our nation decided 
hey, th- women's opportunities in athletics and other things, but for these purposes, athletics is so important to us. And this was actually 1972. You know what some of the pushback was? Well, why are we going to haphazard? Why not let the free market reign, right? Why not let the free market reign? And more people are paying to watch men's sports and more people are paying to play men's sports. The free market will resolve this, right? And our country, I think, wisely said, well, I don't know if we just go decade after decade after decade and allow the men's economic models in this sport or that sport or at the high school level or the college level, and it just continues to build and build and build. I'm not sure your free market is going to open up the opportunities to the women. So I think, again, wisely, our federal government imposed the Title IX gender equity legislation on us. And what did it do, basically? It shifted public resources, meaning your money, my money, our tax dollars at work, and at public universities and public high schools, this, these resources were increased towards women's sports Despite the reality that immediate financial gain, like the good old capitalism argument, oh, it can't be a good idea unless we're going to be printing money in the backyard. Well, no, again, free market's a wonderful thing, but it doesn't resolve everything the way some extremely ignorant and narrow-minded people might suggest to you from time to time. It was a brilliant move in the 1970s. It was behind the times compared to some other nations, but it was ahead of the times compared to most nations of the world. Heck, look at 2019. We, we lap much of the world when it comes to such things at this point. Of course, men's sports were more popular. Of course, they were more lucrative. But we made a decision, anti-free market. This is so important that we're going to invest in it. And sure enough, we are the best in the world in a lot of different sports, many of them women's sports. Title IX was and is a great idea. Gender equity was and is a great idea. The United States in 1972 made that philosophical decision, and that's one of the reasons that from the 90s forward, and it's really longer than that, but the world rank, this shows you how far women's soccer was behind men's soccer. I mentioned earlier in today's show, the first Women's World Cup didn't even come around until 1991. The Men's World Cup has been around for almost 100 years. There were no world rankings, like FIFA. Come on, man. Like, you couldn't just watch a few soccer games and spit out some rankings? The women did play in some international tournaments before the World Cup for the women was created in 1991. There were no FIFA world rankings, so we can only trace them to the 90s. The American women have been dominant for longer than that. We just have the objective evidence of their number one rankings routinely for 30 years running as compared to the men's average ranking of 20th over those same 30 years. Appreciate the call, George. That is another valuable layer that you added to our cake. Title IX and gender equity certainly play a part in what we're trying to understand here. Why have the U.S. women been number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men have often barely been in the worldwide top 25? Let's go to Tom in Kenley, North Carolina. You're next on the David Glenn Show. Hello? Hey, Tom, you're on the air with David Glenn. Go right ahead. Hey, thank you. The reason women do better is because women have to come to our own game. Oh, man, your, your phone broke up there. I, anytime I can get some insight to women. I mean, did you ever read the book Men Are From Mars, Women Are From Venus? I recommend it highly. Like all of my relationships with my mom, my sisters, my wife, 
my girlfriend, just kidding, my wife, my daughter, all my relationships with women improved after I read that book. It's really good. It's been around for decades. I thought Tom was going to drop some knowledge understanding women, and then his phone cut out. Is that symbolic? All right, let's try Tom and Kenley one more time, see if his phone signal is better. The world is waiting with bated breath about understanding this part of the equation. Oh. Are you there? Yeah, we, go ahead. Try one more time. Okay, the men have spent way too much time trying to emulate the Europeans. The way like the Europeans say we are European coaches. We have European players like the players. And the women on the other hand have decided, okay, this. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm going to translate that the best I got it. The women have not stumbled into the problem of trying to imitate how the Europeans win in soccer, right? This actually is a little bit of a branch of the number one answer to the question of the day. It's not an exact fit, but he's, Tom and Kenley is leading me in that direction, and I'll just blurt it out as we come to your calls. Sebastian Ajo has had his offer sheet from the Montreal Canadiens matched by your Carolina Hurricanes. More on that story with your questions and comments and also with John Forsland, Kane's TV and radio voice when he joins us live in about 45 minutes. 1-800-849-2761. One of the wealthier, more profitable teams in the NHL tried to financially bully the Carolina Hurricanes, and the Canes stepped up to the plate and matched it. It's not ideal terms from the Canes' perspective. And the biggest risk, I think, is what is your relationship like with your star young all-star, uh, Sebastian Ajo? Does this disrupt that relationship as you now control his rights for the next five years he'll be an unrestricted free agent at as he's turning 27 years old that's not ideal for the canes again i told you earlier they've locked up most of their players through the end of their 20s through the end of what would most describe would describe as their prime Ajo's the finished forward who turns 22 this month. He's going to get paid now by the Canes since they matched the offer sheets, $42 million plus over these five years. It is uncomfortably front-loaded. It does have an uncomfortable signing bonus each year. That means it's $20 million plus that Tom Dundon and the Canes have to fork over. Again, signing bonuses are due July 1st, your salary you earn over the course of the season. So the structure of the deal is a little bit uncomfortable and certainly not ideal. The most important bottom line is the Canes did match that offer sheet and were not pushed around by the Montreal Canadiens. 1-800-849-2761. Timing in life is everything, and timing explains a lot about why the American women, again, poised to perhaps win another World Cup, are number one in the world almost all the time. And the American men are happy when they crack the top 25 and thrilled when they tr crack the worldwide top 10, which has happened. But think about it. Who, which countries do you see at the top? Even as you're giving me a lot of other really good answers, American athletes have more options than most of the world's athletes. Travel soccer is too expensive here and eliminates some of lower means. Title IX, gender equity, the Anson Dorrance UNC dynasty, remember, started building even before there was a Women's World Cup. To me, that also channels in to the timing is everything part of it. Timing isn't truly everything, but it matters a lot. How did you meet your spouse? 
What if he or she wasn't on that flight? What if he or she wasn't in that class that day? What if you weren't at the same coffee shop as you met eyes longingly and it led to that conversation which led to that first date or that first phone call or whatever? Of course timing means a lot. No matter how smart you are, no matter how hardworking you are. The reality is that there was international soccer at a significant level in the 1800s as we were still trying to figure out, like, who the heck are we as a country? You know, England's got <laughs> England has the early, 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 like we, we, we early runnings of what we would now call the Premier League. That was in the mid 1800s as we were killing each other, right? Civil, <laughs> civil war style. That matters. And when women's soccer is essentially not truly born until the 1990s when, wait a minute, our country had adopted Title IX and gender equity almost 20 years earlier, and Anson Dorrance had this dynasty building in Chapel Hill more than a decade earlier, and really world women's international soccer is, is to a degree, again, first Women's World Cup, not until 1991. It's not accurate to say it was born then, but it went next level in 1991, right? And the Olympics didn't even add women's soccer as a medal sport until later than that. So you're talking about three decades, basically. When women's soccer was truly born as an international sport with lots of people trying hard, or at least at the beginning, some people led by us trying hard, how much of an advantage of that for the women compared to what the men stepped into? By the time the American men's program was really getting resources, some of these countries had been playing soccer for seriously like a century or longer. That's not a minor disadvantage. Why do Messi and Ronaldo and these other superstars grow up falling in love with soccer? Well, guess what? In many cases, that was the sport their mom or dad talked about most, usually dads back in the day. That was the sport that granddad talked about. If you heard stories about great-granddad, in most of these countries, it was about soccer. It wasn't about swimming or baseball or tennis or golf. The way you could hear those stories about your grandfather here in the United States, timing is everything in some parts of life. And in this particular case, the U.S. men's program was not fully invested in until a dozen or more countries. Do you think England, Germany, and some Brazil, Argentina, do you think they had a little bit of a running start for their men's international soccer program, their men's national team, as they're called, compared to us, where it was really the middle of the 20th century before we started taking it seriously, some of these countries had a century-long head start on us. So you have the cultural advantage. You have fewer options for young athletes. You have fewer restrictions for the poor athletes. They found Messi. He was not from a wealthy family. That doesn't happen as often in soccer here in the United States. Good luck funding your travel team if you're having trouble paying your rent, right? You got to feed your child before you pay for all of his or her soccer equipment. The U.S. women's national team, at the time the sport exploded on the female side, was already the trailblazer, was already the trendsetter, was already the best in the world. And what they've done is sustained that for the last 30 years. When the men's national team was truly born into the international stage, folks, they like might not have been in the top 50. 
So relatively speaking, being in the top 25 is at least progress. But culturally and in a lot of other ways, timing matters a lot. And I think it's the starting point for our question of the day's answers. Why have the U.S. women been number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25? Timing is everything. All these other layers of the cake also matter. And I thank you for being, once again, as usual, the smartest audience in sports radio. But I really think it starts with timing. When this sport exploded for women, we were already at the front. And when this... When our country joined the men's international stage in soccer, man, we were behind truly dozens of other nations who had embraced soccer in ways that we didn't for a long, long time, sometimes when we were fighting each other Civil War style, sometimes for other financial or cultural reasons. But that's number one on my list of the answers to the question of the day, timing is everything. 1-800-849-2761. More of your phone calls on Sebastian Ajo and the Canes, the Kawhi Leonard watch and NBA free agency. Charles Barkley says the Sixers are the new team to beat in the NBA. I would love to think that Charles is right, but I don't think so. Bobby Marks joins us next hour, ESPN's NBA front office insider. We'll ask him about the new intriguing teams. Now that the Warriors dynasty looks a lot different, the Raptors are the new NBA champion, and most of the high-profile free agents have already found new homes. The New York Yankees have signed a Martian. I will explain that headline as we welcome more of your calls. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket in to the David Glenn Show. Gary Player joining us. This morning I did 1,300 sit-ups and crunches. Wow. I pushed 300 pounds with my legs and I ran on the treadmill. You are one of the legends of golf and you've been an inspiration as a person as well. What a nice compliment and God bless America. You're listening to the David Glenn Show. I stand by the comments that I made about not wanting to go to the White House, um, with the exception of the expletive. My mom will be very upset about that. I would encourage my teammates to think hard about lending that platform or having that co-opted um, by an administration that doesn't feel the same way and doesn't fight for the same things that we fight for. So I'll just leave it at that. Welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Little Megan Rapino for you. She takes the pitch in about 90 minutes. USA versus England, Women's World Cup semifinals. Question of the day lingers. Why have the U.S. women been number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25? You can chime in with your layer to that multi-layered cake. We've given you probably six or seven different types of frosting so far. You can talk Sebastian Ajo and the Carolina Hurricanes. The Canes have matched that offer sheet five years, $42 million. There are some complications, but the bottom line is that Ajo remains a member of the Carolina Hurricanes. And, yes, it did get personal. I'll elaborate on that after one thing I promised from the baseball world as we look forward to John Forsland live in 30 minutes on all things hockey as that free agency whirlwind continues, voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, John Forsland, live in 30 minutes. Bobby Marks, one of the best in the salary cap type business, NBA front office insider for ESPN. He joins us in about 60 minutes as that carousel continues to spin. Ben Simmons, while not technically a free agent, did just get, uh, according to Adrian Wojnarski, of course, 
a long-term extension at the max salary. Not all the T's have been crossed and I's dotted, but Ben Simmons and the Sixers have gotten together on a long-term max extension, as Charles Barkley describes Philly, his old team, or one of them, as the new team to beat in the NBA. Bobby Marks says the Golden State Warriors will not even make the playoffs next season, and he had a recent post outlining what he sees as the smartest moves of NBA free agency so far. Again, Kawhi Leonard, the biggest name that has not made a decision yet. A whole lot of dominoes fell over the weekend and yesterday. We'll get to more of that with your phone calls. If you can add to our list with the question of the day, you can chime in. Why have the U.S. women been number one in the world for decades while the U.S. men are often barely in the top 25? How things got personal between the Carolina Hurricanes and the Montreal Canadiens shortly. But you can't get past the New York Yankees have signed a Martian without elaborating a little bit yet, right? Here's a question for you. Who is that person in any sport that when you heard his or her name while he or she was still a teenager, you remember the can't-miss type label? Like, as a lifelong hockey fan, we heard about Sidney Crosby long before he was winning Stanley Cups with the Pittsburgh Penguins. We heard about a Mario Lemieux or a Wayne Gretzky long before you got to see them on a regular basis in those NHL uniforms. We heard about Tiger Woods in golf long before he was even a member of the PGA Tour, right? This was not somebody we found under a rock. Some of these guys internationally, Sergio Garcia, while not quite a Tiger-like figure, coming up the ranks in Spain was described as, you know, maybe the next Seve Ballesteros of the golf world in Europe. Again, not quite to the same hype degree with Tiger, but a somewhat similar level in the sport of golf. We all have examples of those. LeBron was famous at the high school level before he became mega famous at the NBA level. It's not a short list, but it's not the longest list in the world either. Well, there's a baseball player who, in the eyes of many, fits this description. Some of the experts say that he is the most highly regarded prospect from Latin America in baseball in at least a decade. You may have heard Latin America produces a lot of really, really good baseball players. The young man's name is Jason Dominguez. If you want to buy your jerseys really early, he's only 16 years old. Jason is spelled with two S's, or maybe you only want the last name on the back of the uniform. 16-year-old center fielder Jason Dominguez has a nickname, The Martian. So the Yankees have signed a Martian, or more specifically, The Martian. The way rules work in Major League Baseball, this guy, again, is from Latin America, so he's not coming through, say, you know, we've seen Elliott Avent's players drafted out of NC State or Mike Fox's out of Carolina, et cetera. International players, unless they relocate here or there's a couple of other ways to do it, you have to use international signing bonus money as a Major League Baseball team if you want to claim one of these dudes out there somewhere, including 16-year-old center fielder Jason Dominguez being described and, you know, who's the baseball example of that? Uh, there aren't as many in the teenage ranks. Like Mike Trout is the best player in baseball today. You may know that he was once signed to play college ball at ECU, but it's not a fair comparison. Mike Trout was – I grew up in Philly. He's from New Jersey. He's actually a Phillies fan, as many in Jersey are, especially the southern part of New Jersey. Mike Trout 
when he turned down ECU for professional baseball was not viewed in a Tiger Woods or Wayne Gretzky type way. He just became this kind of player. Well, Jason Dominguez, Dominguez is viewed this way. And the New York Yankees, who have something like $6 million to spend in what's called their international free agent pool money, just spent 95% of that money on one dude. And his name is Jason Dominguez. He is five foot nine. He's 195 pounds. He is described as a powerful switch hitter with top end speed and a well-regarded throwing arm. Some describe him as the classic five-tool player. His bonus dwarfed the Yankees' previous international record of $3.2 million. Each year, international free agents are eligible to sign starting on July 2nd. It's a less famous threshold than, you know, NBA free agency at the end of June or NHL free agency starting on July 1st. International free agents in Major League Baseball became available today. And the Yankees beat out, among others, the Rangers, the Rays, and the Angels as they scoop up 16-year-old center fielder Jason Dominguez. Get ready for the Martian coming to a baseball stadium near you. 1-800-849-2761 is your ticket into the program. Ajo and the Canes and the offer sheet, how it got personal on the other side. Team USA, the U.S. women taking on England this afternoon. Why are the women in our country number one in the world almost all the time, and the men are often barely in the top 25 of the world rankings? You can add to our theory at 1-800-849-2761, maybe 10 layers to that cake, and I think we've identified seven or eight of them already. Wimbledon is underway. Venus Williams is already out. The GOAT Serena Williams is playing as we speak. Greensboro's John Isner is the top-ranked American male. He has had some famous matches at Wimbledon over the years as a big, strong guy with a wicked good serve on grass or otherwise. 1-800-849-2761. Your calls, questions, and comments, your answers to the question of the day are welcome on the other side. John Forsland live in about 25 minutes for more hockey. Bobby Marks live in almost 60 minutes on more NBA, 1-800-849-2761. The Charlotte Hornets mismanaged the free agency of Kemba Walker, arguably the greatest player in franchise history, and as a result, those Hornets are definitely among the laughingstocks of the NBA right now with one of the weakest rosters in the entirety of that league. Had the Canes not matched this offer sheet with the Montreal Canadiens? Had they just watched him go to Montreal the way the Hornets essentially just watched Kemba go to the Boston Celtics? The Canes would have been, no doubt about it, among the laughing stocks of the NHL. Had that happened, again, it's been 12 years since the offer sheet worked and somebody lured a player from one NHL franchise to another. Now, that bullet has been dodged with the Canes just in the last hour or so matching that offer sheet. But some of the details are fascinating. This was a personal fight, not quite the fist fight in the barn that almost happened 12 years ago between two NHL general managers. Ajo is still the property of the Carolina Hurricanes organization as an up-and-coming 22-year-old almost finished superstar. But the details got wicked ugly between the Canadians and the Canes. Your questions, my answers, and your phone calls, 1-800-849-2761. Next on the David Glenn Show. 
Kurt Busch is joining us, 38-year-old champion of the Daytona 500. I went out with Gronk last night after uh, after we won the race. Did you really? Also, it was fun. Got about an hour's sleep. I asked him, I go, hey, when do you have to report to training camp? He goes, July. I said, well, we can't be friends because i got to <laughs> go back to racing. Stay with us on the David Glenn Show. Show John Forsland on hockey live in 20 minutes. The Canes have matched the offer sheet from the Montreal Canadiens for Sebastian Ajo. The terms are not ideal for various reasons, but Ajo remains a Cane. Five years, about 42 million and change. The terms are front loaded. There's a huge, huge signing bonus due this month and again next year as part of this new five year contract. Not ideal that he'll be an unrestricted free agent as he's turning 27 years old five years from now. But the biggest bottom line is that he's still with the Canes and that the Montreal Canadiens dare. It was an insulting dare. We dare you to show that you cannot be pushed around financially. Most of you know as observers in sports, and you can chime in on the NHL, NBA, Team USA, Wimbledon, Martian, and other headlines of the day with your questions and comments. 1-800-849-2761. Bobby Marks next hour on the NBA. John Forslund next hour on the NHL. So now's a good time for more phone calls if you want in. 1-800-849-2761. Most of you probably know, just if even you're a casual sports fan, in every major professional sports league, or even this is to a degree applicable at the college level with sports, there is shared money. And there is money that you keep for yourself. And it creates a disparity. The most famous disparities and most discussed disparities are, hey, the Carolina Hurricanes, when you add up all their players' compensation, are a low-budget, low-payroll team. And it gets frustrating for Kaniacs sometimes under Peter Carmanos Jr., who was not a big spender most of the time as the team owner. But even to a degree so far in the relatively new Tom Dundon era, it's not as much fun to be the team that's always trying to find the diamonds in the rough, that's always trying to make the playoffs and then hopefully advance there, even as, and they were this year, one of the lower-budget teams in the NHL. Well, it's easier to digest, okay, the salary cap is this, and the Canes aren't spending to the cap, and these others are spending to the cap, but you know what? It's a $10 million difference in, in whatever year, or it's a $15 million difference in another year. It's not the end of the world, man. I'd love two big-ticket free agents for that extra $15 million, but we are a smaller market. The numbers don't crunch quite as well. It's not my money. It's his money, and maybe you just digest those smaller variations when it comes to salary cap. Again, these leagues are capped, so the big market teams do – it can get a little out of whack depending on the sport. Like in baseball, there are actually some teams beyond $200 million budgets, the way the rules work, and there are other teams way short of $100 million, okay? So there could be disparities just when you talk about salaries. But in the micro or, or macro view, rather, when you boil it down to those two categories, what do we share and then what do we not share? In the NHL, it creates two entirely different universes for two reasons. Do you know what is the most frequently shared money, whether you're a fan of a college conference or any of the major leagues that we follow in the United States? One thing that when you're looking at the ledger, you're an accountant, and you're saying, all right, this money is shared, this other money is not shared. W routinely, 
TV money on the national level is shared. So, like, when the ACC has its deals with ESPN and others, the ACC is spreading that money among the 15-member universities, right? The Big Ten does something similar with their TV partners, the SEC with theirs, and on and on and on. Similarly, where does most of the money come from in the NFL? National TV deals. You don't have NFL games on some little regional or local broadcast, right? Those dollars are mega billion dollar deals. I mean, mega billion with a B dollar deals. And they are spread among the NFL franchises. It's one of the things that helps with parity. Yes, salary caps help with parity, but so do the spreading around of TV dollars. Now, the, the Cowboys, for example, as a bigger, wealthier franchise, when you're paying those concession prices or those parking prices and the Cowboys own whatever percentage of everything, probably all of it at Jerry's World, right? They're not sharing that stuff with everybody else. But whereas sometimes the, those who only think in terms of free markets might say, well, why don't the teams that are on TV more often get a lot more money? Right? You can make that argument. Hey, why am I subsidizing this lousy franchise that's never good and rarely draws good TV ratings and is mostly irrelevant? Why shouldn't I get more money because my team's on TV more often? Well, most of the leagues have decided to share the national TV money equally or close to equally. Again, that helps with parity. In the NHL, remember, national TV money is not all that big compared to the NBA's national TV deals, compared to the NFL's for sure. So, yes, it's shared, but it doesn't really even the playing field because the money is not into the mega billions. It's not even into the billions, period. Sometimes it's not even into the hundreds of millions. Now, all these teams have local TV and radio deals, and I think you can all figure out on your own the – Carolina Hurricanes, who have not existed as long in a part of the country that hasn't been embracing the NHL for as long and just doesn't have the population or the fan base or the season ticket base or whatever to compete with some original six or other historic franchises, right? Of course the Montreal Canadiens and the New York Rangers and the Boston Bruins and the Chicago Blackhawks, of course they're getting infinitely more money for their local TV and radio deals compared to the Canes and other small market teams. Well, guess what? In Because the NHL is structured this way, yeah, we share our national TV money, but there's not a lot of it. And no, we, we don't really share these local TV and radio deals. And there is a lot of money in some cases. So the Canes are picking up, relatively speaking, peanuts – and the bigger market, more successful, more popular teams are picking up mega dollars. It all points to what I told you earlier in today's show. The Canadians missed the playoffs two years ago and still turned a profit of more than $100 million. I'll say that again. The Canadians missed the playoffs two years ago and still turned a profit of more than $100 million. The Canes missed the playoffs the year before last and lost millions of dollars. Do that enough years in a row, you see where it ends up. Canadians can have a billion dollars that you don't have, and you might have nine straight years without the playoffs, nine straight years of red ink on your financial ledger. Well, of course that's creating a massive financial disparity that if you're only looking at payroll, oh, 70-some million compared to 90 million, it's not the end of the world. Okay, you're right. 
and the salary cap helps level the playing ice. This other dollars, these other dollars that are not shared, folks, they only serve to create Grand Canyon-sized gaps. And that's what the Canadians were trying to exploit here. Credit to Tom Dundon and the Hurricanes for answering the dare, to stand, for standing up to the financial bully. That's exactly what this is. Sebastian Ajo's agent, let me be very clear about this, served his client well. He got the term that he wanted, only five years. That means his rising superstar, as long as he's still a star five years from now, at the end of this offer sheet deal, again, the Canes have matched. Well, he's not yet 27, and he's an unrestricted free agent at that point. That's serving your client well. Remember, the Canes were trying for a longer-term deal, maybe locking up Ajo through his 20s, his prime, but they weren't offering enough money for Ajo and his agent to bite on that. My friends at the Canes described the situation as very personal, as Ajo's agent manipulating the Canadians' general manager. Ajo's agent thought that Tom Dundon and the Carolina Hurricanes were going to flinch when they saw all the front-loaded money, when they saw all the signing bonus money, when they saw $20 million plus due in roughly a 13-month period. $20 million plus for one of the smallest budget teams in the, in the NHL. They thought they knew Tom Dundon. Again, he's only, in air quotes, a billionaire. Not the Dave, Tep Dave Tepper, Carolina Panthers, 13 billion plus, right? He's only a billionaire. And I don't know that number for Tom Dundon, but it's not David Tepper money. So you have much smaller radio and TV deals. You don't have enormous shared revenue from those national TV deals. It is a massively unlevel playing field. And the wealthy $100 million profit Canadians were daring the Canes to show that they can play with the big boys financially. Credit to the Canes for standing up to the financial bully. Credit to Tom Dundon for digging into those deeper, deep pockets, not as deep as the Canadians. Sebastian Ajo's agent is not a bad guy if you're Sebastian Ajo. He manipulated the heck out of the Canadians' GM, a guy named Mark Bergevon, who's never done anything well as a GM, who's a former player and not all that savvy, unlike some veteran GMs. He did get the deal he wanted for Ajo, but Ajo is not, as the Canadians suggested, you know, playing for the team he really wants to play for. That's personal, folks. I went to dinner with my wife last night, and the guy sitting on the other side at the bar of the bar kept telling her how beautiful she is. Now, she's beautiful. She is. And I'm comfortable in my own skin. And frankly, after all these years of being married to the lovely and talented Maria, I'm used to other men telling her how beautiful she is. What the Canadians did to the Canes was not just tell, tell them how beautiful Sebastian Ajo is. At one point, they actually climbed onto the bar stool and started straddling Sebastian Ajo. You know, at that point, I probably would have drawn a line at the bar last night. The Carolina Hurricanes, while disrespected, ultimately answered the bell. Sebastian Ajo got his money. His agent got his way. The Canadians were the pawns, and the Caniacs ended up the ultimate winners. We're back after this. John Forslund in 10 minutes on The David Glenn Show. Mike Lupica, welcome back to the David Glenn Show. Sports used to be called the toy department, and I said, look at the political scene, and, and, and tell me that's any more real or, or more serious than what we see when people say, oh, stick to sports. Well, who passed that law? You're listening to the David Glenn Show.
Bobby Marks of ESPN on the best and worst of NBA free agency so far. That's live in about 35 minutes. The TV and radio voice of the Carolina Hurricanes, John Forslund, joins us on the other side. We'll talk more Team USA soccer, too. But Sebastian Alho remains a cane. John Forslund is next. Kevin Harlan is joining us. It was a boring game, and the guy ran out right through the formation as if he was a wide receiver <laughs> to be a part of the play. The guy is drunk, but there he goes. You always think of calling that dramatic last-second buzzer-beating shot or a touchdown pass or, or something more historic. This is the David Glenn Show.